we come to chapter 9, and chapter 9 causes many people to just want to scream, it's not fair, right? Because it's theme is election. Now, I'm not talking about the presidential election. There's no way I would try to explain that mess to you, okay? I, I don't think anybody can. We're talking about God's election in salvation, right? And that causes people tension. As a matter of fact, we got people from all over the all over the spectrum uh, from uh, in, in religion. I mean, we got people from uh, you know uh, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, former uh, nothing, right? We got people all that. If you're Me- Presbyterian, then uh, you're you're probably gonna throw another hundred dollars in the plate when we get through because we're talking about this, right? If you're Methodist, man, we got defibrillators if your heart stops. So hang on, okay? If you're Wesleyan or Methodist, now uh, if you're Baptist, you're sort of mixed. It's a mixed bag. Some of you are right there. Some of you are like, oh, wow, I, I don't know, and, 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 which is puzzling in a, in a bit because we're Baptist, and our Baptist heritage is, is all this. This is the, the theological persuasion that, Baptist, that our Baptist denomination, our Baptist theological persuasion was founded on, right? I mean, if you don't believe me, you can go back and read all of our Baptist confessions. If you read uh, the Philadelphia Confession of, of 1733, if you read the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of, of 1844, if you read the, the abstract principles from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary when it began in 1845, I believe, 1847, I'm sorry, uh, it will state clearly that this is the election. It's our roots theologically, right? And so, but somewhere along the line, because this is tough, we began to say, I don't know, back away a little bit. Let me, let me look at this because, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to deal. Now, we got to deal with sovereignty as we look at this. What is sovereignty? Because I think that every Christian that I know will gladly say God is sovereign. Right? I mean, what is sovereignty? Sovereignty means that God is in 100% total control. Michael uh, taught, prayed about it. We sang, you hold it all. You hold it all, right? We sing that God is in 100% total control. Not just knowing what's going on, but actively in control of everything. And really, every Christian will agree with that, right? I mean, we, we want God to be in control of creation. We have no problem with that. After all, God is the creator. Everything that exists, exists from God. He not only created, but he created everything out of nothing. It's called ex nihilo, right? He created everything out of nothing. I mean, I mean, think about that. It wasn't there. It's not like me. You know, at my house, I'm getting ready to create one of these, and I use that word create loosely, right? I'm getting ready to create one of these paver patio pa- things, right? And so, so what's going to happen with me is I can't create the stone to create that, the ground that it, that it lays on. What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to go to Lowe's. I'm going to have to get the stuff, and then I'm going to come home. I'm going to start working. Five minutes later, I'm going to realize I didn't get everything. I'm going to have to go back to Lowe's, right? Because I just can't produce the resources. Then I'm going to say a few bad words, ask for forgiveness. I'm going to get back in it because I can't create that stuff, right? But God creates everything from nothing, ex nihilo. I mean, it's not there. He creates it. Not only does he create everything from nothing, I mean, he can just take whatever's there and do what he wants with it. I mean, remember, his very first miracle was what? Turning water, turning water into wine, right? I mean, how cool is that? I mean, Jesus is at a party. His mom is at a party for a wedding. They run out of, uh, of wine, and, which in that culture is a major no-no. And so he tells, uh, rather than going to the, to, the, to the liquor store, so to speak, in today's terminology, Jesus' mom comes to him. I know you can do this. Would you turn the water into wine? And Jesus turned the water into wine. Now, that, think about how awesome that is because, you know, here, here's what happens. Jews, uh, you know, uh, Jews don't recognize Jesus. Protestants don't recognize the Pope. 
and Baptists in the South don't recognize each other in liquor store, right? And so, therefore, therefore, you know, if you could just create wine out of water, boy, wouldn't that be great? But you can't do that, right? And so, my let me come back to it. My point is, Jesus creates everything out of nothing, and we don't have a problem with him being sovereign over creation, storms. We don't have a problem with Jesus being sovereign over life. We want him to be. We want Jesus to be sovereign over life. I mean, we want Jesus to be sovereign when we need a job. Well, Jesus, I need a job. I believe you can get me a job. Someone in your family is sick. I believe you can heal. Some, your children go off the rails. You pray, God. You, your marriage is in trouble. You pray you have a need because you believe God can take care of it because he's in control. That's why you pray, right? So we don't have a problem with God being sovereign over anything except salvation sometimes which is completely inconsistent because we want God to be in, 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 in control of every molecule, in control of every atom, in control of every circumstance and every event, but not salvation. We pump the brakes there. We pull the reins back for, for multiple reasons, for a couple of big reasons. One is because we want to have something to do with that. I mean, we want God to be able to do his part, right? But we want to have something to do with that. Our, uh, our uh, bottom line last week was all God, all grace. It's all God, all grace. Now, that sounds good. All God, yes. Amen. All grace, yes. But it, it sounds good, but, but it, it has a good sound. But when it comes down to really understanding what it means, we don't know if we like that because we want God to do his part. Grace for us in that realm means that, well, God has a lenient attitude towards our sin. God has this lenient attitude towards our sin that, that causes us to be savable. That's what Jesus' death would have accomplished if we have something to do with it. It means that Jesus' death wouldn't save anyone. It would just make us savable, and God would have a lenient attitude towards our sin. So, therefore, God did his part. But you know what? we got to do our part too, right? Which that's not the biblical view of salvation. That's what we have made it to be because, you know, we, we don't know if we can go there. The other thing is that we really want to protect God. We pump the brakes when it comes to God's sovereignty and salvation because we want to protect God because if God chooses some, which is what election means, that before time began he chose some with, not because of any merit on their part or, or any exertion or human will, we're going to read, but because of God, God's choice. If that's true, then it, it might be unfair. Does that not make God unfair because he chooses some and not others? And so it's a hard doctrine. Right? It's hard to preach. So I want to remind you that as Paul's going to today, that this is not my word, it's God's word. So if you want to send an email, send it to God, okay? And if you got that email address, give it to me. I'd like to have it, okay? So it's God's word. It's not my word, all right? But I also would like to remind you that when we come to passages, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that I don't like, okay? Uh, I don't like them because they, they deal with me, right? I don't like them because uh, they, I have to do something with it, and may, may, maybe they won't let me, they, they tell me I shouldn't do something I want to do, or I, I, I should do something I don't want to do, and so that's what I mean by there are passages I don't like, there are passages I don't understand. When you come to a passage you don't like or a passage you don't understand, that don't, doesn't mean you get the opportunity to just drive around it and make it whatever you want to make it. That's not what discipleship is all about. That's not what uh, sanctification is all about. That means that if you do that with this, then you'll do that with any of the other passages of Scripture you don't like. So what you have to do is, part of discipleship and part of becoming like Christ and sanctification is, this is God's Word. I have to deal with it for what it is. It, the, the bad question in your small groups, here's what I want you to do. If anybody in your small group ever asks a question, what does this verse mean to you? You need to throw a flag and say, wrong question. That's never the right question. 
It doesn't really matter what God's Word means to you. It does matter what God's Word means. But what, what it matters is what, what God's Word means, period, right? Not what God's Word means to you. What God's Word means, period. That's the question. What does God's Word mean? So that's what we have to ask. Now, Paul's M.O., Paul's M.O. was simply to present truth, and then when he would present the truth, he knew it would bring some questions. He's not there in person. He's writing letters to churches. And he knows that this is going to bring questions. And so he's a very smart. Paul, by the time he was 21, had the equivalent of what we would consider two PhDs. We would probably know Paul today from history just because he was so brilliant, even if he wasn't a Christian. He's very smart. He's anticipating questions. I present this truth. It's going to be read. And then you're going to have this question, so he answers them. So, so far, here's what's happened. Romans is about justification. The whole book of Romans is justification. Justification by faith alone, by grace through faith, right? It's all God. It's all grace. That's what he's preached through the first eight chapters through writing this letter. He comes to chapter 9, and what he knows is it's all justification. You can't deal with justification without dealing with election. And then he knows that, that that's going to raise a question. What about the Jews? Because you're saying, Paul, about justification, election. Well, what about the Jews? The Jews are God's chosen people, but most of the Jews are totally rejecting Jesus. How is that? Does that mean God's purpose for salvation has failed? His word has failed? If that means his purpose for, for salvation has failed for the Jews, does that mean it will fail for me? How do I know, Paul, as you said at the end of Romans 8, all things work together, or I'm sorry, that, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ? How do I know that? If it fell for the Jews, how do I know that nothing can or will separate me from the love of Christ? Good question. And so Paul spends three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, unpacking election. He really defines it in, in 13, I'm sorry, in 6 through 13 of chapter 9. When he says God's word hasn't failed because the Jews have rejected Jesus doesn't mean God's word has failed. It means that God, because God's election is not national, it's not general, it is individual, specifically covenantal. That's, that's what he says. And so, so it's, it's specifically covenantal for those whom God chose. It's not national, right? And he gives three generations of examples to help us get it. He talks about Abraham. He says, Okay, let's go back to Abraham. Abraham was an idol-worshiping pagan Mesopotamian. Wasn't looking for God, couldn't spell God. I mean, wasn't searching for God, wasn't doing good trying to figure this thing out. He was worshiping idols, but God chose him out of that whole land. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. God chose Isaac, not Ishmael, meaning proving that it wasn't about the, all the descendants of Abraham. If you, because when God comes to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and all the world's going to be blessed. So it wasn't, pro, it's proving that not the choice of Isaac and not Ishmael proves that it, it's not all of Abraham's descendants, it's, it's whom God chooses. Isaac then had two sons, Jacob and Esau. God chose Jacob, although he was the second born, not Esau, although he was the first with the rights and the privileges. Before they were born, they were twins, same womb, same time, before they were born or before they had done anything good or bad, Paul said. Why? Proving that it's not about your work. It's not about God didn't look down and say, well, Jacob is going to do something really good and he's going to be a spiritual stud. I want him on my team. I'll choose him. Or he didn't look down through heaven and say, oh, through, from heaven through time and say, you know what? Jacob would be a great patriarch. I'm going to choose him. It was before they'd done anything, made a decision or anything, he chose Jacob, not Esau, right? Before they had done anything. Now, 
As we, as we look at that, I want to hit pause for a moment and deal with the question because some of the, some of the people come to say, man, I'm tracking with this. I mean, this, I'm wrestling with it. I'm tracking. But man, I, I, what does this mean about my kids? Does this mean my kids don't have the, the, the I mean, it's not, they're just the decision to receive Jesus is purely on them? Does that mean, and, and, and I'm like, well, you should take comfort in that. No. I mean, yes, they have to. We have human responsibility all the way through Scripture. We have God's sovereignty. But you don't want the responsibility of the decision to be on your children. My children can't make a good decision about what to eat for breakfast, let alone about their eternity, okay? So I don't want that to be on them. I want it to be on God. Now, the second thing I would say about that is you got to just, just, now this is a deeper, this is another sermon, another series, but you got to understand that in Scripture, if we go back to the Old Testament all the way through, there's a thing called covenant family, covenant theology, which means that God generally, I use the word generally, saves the children of believers. Not all the time because you got, you got Ishmael, you got Esau, you got Absalom, David's son, you got uh, Hophni and Phinehas, who are Eli's sons, right? So it's not always, but generally, it's a covenant issue, okay? And so I'll hit play now. I'll go back just to, just to give you an answer. So he cho- chooses Jacob, not Esau, before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, and he knows, okay, here's the second question. Answer the question of the Jews. It's not, it's not national. It's not general election. It is specifically covenantal for the God, those who God chooses. That's why there are some Jews who are being saved in Paul's world. There are some today. There will be a day when we get to Romans 11, we will see that there will be a day when God opens the eyes of the Jews who are alive at that point, and they will almost wholesale come to Jesus. They'll have a spiritual awakening, and that will be in Romans 11. We will get to that, okay? But right now, he's saying that it's, it's not general. It's specific, it's specific and covenantal those who God chooses. So here's the next question. Paul says, I know what you're thinking. Does that not make God unfair? Does that not make God unfair that he chose some and he didn't choose others? And so now he's going to answer that in verses 14 through 18. That's what he's going to dive in the middle of. So let's look at verses 14 through 18 and see what Paul begins to say. Here's what he says. What shall we say then about Jacob, choosing Jacob and not Esau, about specific covenantal election, not general national election? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So Paul says, well, let me answer this question. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, isn't Jesus an equal opportunity savior? I mean, doesn't he make it possible, and doesn't he, uh, you know, isn't he just an equal opportunity saver and gives everybody the exact, uh, you know, uh, same chance? Well, the, opportun- the, the, the answer to the question is everybody has the same chance to get saved, okay? You need to understand that. This is not about a chance to get saved. Everybody's got the same chance. But because of sin, there's an issue, okay? So if Paul would have said, here, here's what I need you to understand. If Paul would have said God chose Abraham, God chose Isaac, and God chose Jacob because they made a choice to follow him. God rejected Esau, and God rejected Ishmael because they rejected him. If Paul would have said that, no one would have had a problem, and no one would have sent him a nasty email at all, not one person. But that's not what he said. He said that that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were saved because God chose them. Esau, Ishmael were not because God didn't, okay? Uh, He said God did not choose them. And so therefore, uh, it creates this question of the immediate reaction. Is that fair? Is that that not fair? Is is that not unjust? Is that unfair? And, and, And Paul says, absolutely not. 
What are you talking about? God's God. God's perfect. God cannot be unfair, right? And the fact that Paul knew election would cause people to question God's fairness proves that he's talking about individual here, not the nation of Israel, not general, but that he's talking about specific and individual. Now let's dive in and begin to unpack why this does not bring into the question of God's fairness. And underline it, you've got to understand, no one deserves to be saved. We all have the same chance. We're not saved because, we're saved because we reject God. So remember that as we, as we talk about this. Now look at verses 15 and 16. He says, for he says to Moses, now this is, this is God's word. Paul said, uh, let me help you unpack it. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy. God says, God says to Moses, it's God's word to Moses. It's not Moses' words, this is God's word. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will. Human will would be choice or desire or your will, your determination. That's what this is. Nor exertion, that's work, effort, merit. So, so then, it, he's talking about justification. He's talking about election, God's choice. D- depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. It's all God, it's all grace. On God who has mercy. Now, let me, let, me, let me unpack the context for this, right? Paul said, before you hit send on that email you're writing, I know you think this is unfair. Before you hit send, let me help you to understand that I didn't come up with election. This is not my word. It's God's word, Okay. He said, I didn't come up with this. It's on every page of the Bible. Matter of fact, you can go back in Genesis. It's on every page. And he goes back to Moses. He's wanting them to get it. Moses is a huge figure for the Jews. He's a huge figure in our life, right? And so he says, let me go back and let you understand that election and how it plays out in the life of Moses. Now, let me give you some context because he quotes uh, Exodus 33, 19. You can go to Exodus and read this, but I'm going to give you the context. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. They cried out, God sent Moses, right? So Moses goes in, brings them out. As he's leading them across the Red Sea, and then as he's leading them through the wilderness, he comes to the mountain. God takes him up on the mountain to give him the law, the Ten Commandments. It's a mountaintop experience for Moses spiritually, you could say, right? He comes down, and as it happens so much, it's a valley experience. He comes down, and what's happening? He comes down from getting the Ten Commandments, and he sees the people rebelling against God, worshiping a golden calf. I mean, they've all of a sudden got wrapped up in idolatry of worshiping a golden calf. Moses is like, are you kidding me, right? And so he deals with the leaders, and then he goes back up on the mountain to pray for the forgiveness of the people and make atonement. Now, Moses prays something, and he's begging God to forgive them, and he prays something that's akin to what Paul prayed at the beginning of chapter 9. Paul prayed, God, I so want the Jews to come to know Jesus that I would go to hell if they would be saved. Now, Paul said, I'd be willing to give up my salvation, but knowing that that couldn't happen because uh, only Jesus can be the substitute, not Paul, not me, not you, not anyone, only Jesus. But he was saying how much he desired for the Jews to be saved, which says this, God's salvation is by God's election that answers all the questions about, well, then why go? Then why spend money? Then why pray for people? Because Paul had no clue who would be saved, so he's going to tell everybody he sees that's his passion to make God famous. And so, so he, he prays, God, I'd go to hell if the Jews would be saved, 
right? I told you, man, I, I wouldn't pray that for anybody. And then Moses goes up on the mountain. He's praying for God to forgive them for their stiff-necked rebellion and idol worship. And he, pray, and, and he prays something that I would never pray again. Moses prays, God, forgive them. And if you don't, just blot me out of your book. I'm thinking, wow. I read that, and I'm thinking, wow. I mean, I couldn't pray that prayer. You know, the day of the priest is over. At that time, remember, Moses represented God to the people and the people to God. He was, the media, he was the mediary because sin had not yet been atoned for. So they went through the priest, and Moses served in that function. But here's what I want you to understand. The day of the priest is over. When Jesus, is, uh, when Jesus died, when he come back from the dead, and, and when he, his death, the veil was torn, you now go straight to Jesus. You do not need a priest. You don't go through a priest. You go straight to Jesus, right? Which is a good thing because if we were still in that time and, and you sinned, now, I want you to know, man, I'm going to pray for you, but I ain't praying that God blots me out if you don't forgive you. You're on your own when it comes to that, all right? <laughs> so Moses prays, and he says, God, forgive them. Forgive them. And then you know what Moses prayed? He said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That's the context for this because here's what God said. I'm going to pass before you and show you my goodness. I'm going to let my goodness pass before you and proclaim to you my name. And then Exodus 33:19 is when he says, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That's God's name. I'm going to let my goodness pass before you and proclaim to you my name. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That's God's name. He says, in other words, my glory is expressed in my name. My name is expressed in my complete, absolute freedom to do whatever I do. My glory is expressed in my freedom to give mercy to whom I give mercy. If you go back to Exodus 3, Moses is in the wilderness guarding his father-in-law's sheep, and God calls him to go to Egypt. And as he's going, as he's at the burning bush, if you remember, Moses said, God, tell me your name, because the name is who you were in that call. Tell me your name so that I can tell them who sent me. So what did God say? Moses, you tell them, I am who I am sent you. I am who I am, Exodus 3. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, Exodus 33, 19. Same structure. He just defines it more and brings more life to it in Exodus 33. And his point is, I'm absolute. I have no cause. I have no cause. I have no constraint. My glory is in my name, and my name is, the, is that I am completely free, and I am completely sovereign. That's my glory, Moses. That's my glory. That's why Moses is quoting this verse right here at this time to these people. He says, I know you're questioning God's fairness. What you need to understand is God's not obliged to give salvation to anyone. You see, questioning God's fairness, anytime you question fairness, then you're presuming that you have rights that are being violated. That's what makes something unfair, right? If you have a right that's being violated, it's not fair. Your kids scream that all the time, right? It's not fair. It's not fair. Sometimes it's just silly because they're not getting what they want. And sometimes maybe something isn't fair. That's when I tell my kids, life ain't fair. Grow up, right? But it's not fair means you got some rights that are being violated. Well, if we scream that it's not fair for God to not save some people and save others, then we would say, well, they must have rights that are being violated. And what we got to understand is nobody has a right to be saved because of sin. Because we've rejected God. You see, the issue is we've rejected God. 
So God's not obliged to save anyone. He has no obligation. We've rejected him. We are sinners, and that sin separates us from him. And that's why people go to hell, not because God didn't choose them to go to hell, because they rejected God. You see, and so when we start thinking about fairness, here's what we got to do. Our natural response is to say, is it fair? Okay, if God, if election means that God chose some before the world was created, God chose some to be his, not based on merit or effort, which would make it all grace. That wouldn't be fair for those who, who we don't choose. That's presuming they have rights. That's presuming that they deserve salvation. No one does, not even me, not you, right? And that would make it, to be quite honest with you, if it was your choice, if it was man's choice, that's what would be unfair. I present to you that if you want to talk about fairness, you don't want fairness because if we got what was fair, we'd all burn, right? I mean, if you, if you agree with that, we got what's fair. If you don't agree with that, then you have a basic authority issue with God. That if we got what's fair, we'd all burn. We would all be damned because we've all rejected God. So we don't want what's fair. But I would say that if it's all 100% your choice, then that's really unfair of God. Okay? And it's not. So before you say, I'm not saying God's unfair because he never is. That's what Paul says, by no means. But if it's your choice, that would be unfair. Let me tell you why. It would be unfair because the Bible clearly, very clearly lays out the fact that our minds are corrupted and depraved by sin, so much so that our hearts are wicked beyond measure. Remember, go back and read Romans 3. Romans 3, Paul said, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one is good, no one does good. No one seeks God. That's God's word, that's not my word, that's God. No one seeks God. No one would be saved if it were our choice because no one would choose God because no one seeks God, okay? Our mind is so corrupt. In Romans 8, Paul said, the mind set on the flesh, which is a mind apart from Christ. There's a mind flesh and a mind of spirit. One is unsaved, one is saved, right? The mind set on the flesh in Romans 8 does not submit to God, nor cannot submit to God. He doesn't say that, well, we just don't do it. He says we can't, right? I mean, these are just a sample. Over and over, the Bible says that we are corrupted by sin. We rejected God. We're corrupted by sin, and our mind, total, means that our body, our soul, our mind, our actions, everything is corrupt by sin. And because of that, if it was on your choice, that would not only be unfair, that would be cruel, to be honest. That would be cruel because you can't do it. I mean, you know, God would say, you got to choose. You can't because sin has completely corrupted you. We've got to understand. That's why we preach the gospel. Even to, the gospel is not just for, Christ, for those who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for me because I need to understand, whoa, without Jesus, here's where I was and where I was going. And I need to remember that because it makes God so much more glorious and it motivates and propels me to live for his glory. So we've got to understand if it was up to us, it would be not just unfair, but cruel because our mind is corrupt and we couldn't do it. So God would say, it's up to you. No, I can't do it. So that's what would be unfair because that way no one would go to heaven. You wouldn't go to heaven. I wouldn't go to heaven. No one would. It's also, uh, if, if it was based on your choice, it would be about reward. It wouldn't be about grace. As I said, now, God would be gracious, and yes, his grace would play a part in it. He would have to have a lenient attitude toward your sin. 
Jesus' death on the cross would not have saved anyone. It would have made people savable because now it is your court. God would be going, oh, man, I've done my court. I'm really pulling for you. That would be reward because you made a good choice. It would be a reward. It wouldn't be grace. It's all God, all grace. Or it's 90% God. How many, I mean, it's not all God, not all grace, if it's your choice. However, you, you might say, well, it's 99% God. 99% God's not all God, right? It's you, and it's work, or you, and it's choice. It's you and a good life, or you and a good choice. It's not all God, all grace. So also, here's what I would say to you. It would be completely unfair if it was your choice because everybody would, does not have the same opportunity and privilege. Let me make sure you understand what I mean by that, okay? If God said, well, salvation, I'm throwing it into your court. I'm throwing it into your court. Salvation is on you. It's your choice. That would be completely unfair because some people never, ever, ever hear the gospel. They never hear the gospel. Yet there are people all over America who hear the gospel multiple times a day or multiple times in a life. So here's a guy who is going to go to hell and he's never heard the gospel. Here's a guy who's heard it and rejected it. That wouldn't be fair. Then there's people who lives in a, in a home that their daddy loves them and just treats them so glorious. Then there's other people who lives in a home, some of you, whose daddy abused you. As a result, you grow up, you can't hardly trust anybody. That wouldn't be fair if your choice and your trust was so, you know. Uh, or what about this? There's people who's raised in a pagan, immoral, godless, violent background. Then there are people who are raised in a Christian, loving, moral background. Man, listen, you don't have the same opportunities. You don't have the same privileges. If it was on your choice, that would be completely unfair. That would be completely unfair. That's why... Paul said in verse 16, and I want you to go back to verse 16. That's why Paul said in verse 16, he said, so then it depends not on human will. It depends not on human will. Because to question God's fairness, now leave this verse for me. To question God's fairness presupposes some things, right? It, 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 it presupposes that we have these rights, that everyone deserves it, and, and, and we, we hopefully use, no, that's not it. it everybody had, would have to have the same opportunity. No, that's not his reward. Here is what he says. Then it depends not on human will. That's your intellect. That's your determination. That's your choice or exertion. That's your work. That's your merit. That's coming to church and, 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 and giving some money and, and, and helping people and doing. It's none of this but on God who has mercy. But on God who has mercy. That's what, that's what Paul says. It, it, it's not about a good decision. It's not about a good life. It's about a good God. It's about a good God, not a good decision, not a good life. It's about a good God. It's all God, all grace. It's all mercy. It's not equity. John said the same thing. It's all over Scripture. John said the same thing. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, now look at this, to all who did receive him. Now, what I want you to understand is here's human responsibility. Do you have a responsibility? Yes. Ultimately, people go to hell because they reject Jesus. Ultimately, people go to heaven because they follow Jesus, because they receive Jesus, as it says, because they believe in Jesus. Okay? But ultimately, above the ultimate, it's God's work above all work. 
It's God who chooses who believes. It's, it's the responsibility of man. It's the sovereignty of God that runs together that we'll never fully comprehend, okay? But, so here's what he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, you have a responsibility. He gave the right to become children of God. How did that happen? So far, those who don't go with elections, okay, yeah, see, now, now but who were born not of blood, nor of the will. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let me fly through that verse. Not of blood, not of will, or of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's God, all God, all grace. See, John said the same thing Paul said. Salvation is not about your will. It's not about your intellect. It's not about how you were born. It's not about your work. It's not about a good life. It's not about a good decision. It's about a good God. It's about a good God. So when it comes to salvation, we really can't complain about God's election being unfair because he chooses some and not others because uh, if, if, it's not really fair that he chooses any. You see, the question is not this. Our immediate go-to is, okay, God chose me, but God chose that person, but he didn't choose that person. Why didn't he choose that person? The question is not why didn't he choose that person. The question is why did he choose anybody? That's the question. Because no one deserves it. No one. You see, the, 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 we're presupposing that everybody has rights. We, we negated that right with sin. No one would be saved. It's not about God being fair. No one would be saved. The fact that God saves any is all God, all grace. The fact that God saved me is all grace. So I, here's what I can say. I, I can't say God's unfair. I can say God is too good. God is too gracious. God is too generous. But I can never say God's not fair because he saved me. My question is, God, why didn't you save, put the name? My question is always, God, why did you save me? Why did you save me? That's the question. And he tells me why in, seven, in, uh, in, in 17 and 18. And, and he tells me why because of his purpose. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to look at that. But what we've got to understand is that's our bottom line is Lord have mercy. Because it's about mercy. You see in, in, in verses uh, uh, 14 and 15, or uh, 15 and 16, he says it's not about fairness. It's about mercy. Lord have mercy. It's not about equity. It's about mercy. Then in 17 through 18, he said, salvation is not about, it, it's not about fairness, it's about purpose. Let's look at 17 and 18. He says this, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, again, Paul's really pointing out, he said to Moses, it's God's word to Moses, it's God's word to Pharaoh, right? For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up because he holds it all. He holds it all. Pharaoh, I, I, I raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, Paul didn't say, uh, again, he wouldn't have gotten emails if he would have said, you know, you know whom God has mercy on? Those who choose him. You know whom God hardens? Those who reject him. He wouldn't have gotten any 
That's not what he said. He said, God has mercy on whom he wills. God hardens whom he wills. He says he hardened Pharaoh, and some would say, and, and, and he, he does say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart too. you got man's responsibility. You've got God's sovereignty. But we can't say, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and so God, no, no, because it says God hardened his heart, I think, three times before it says Pharaoh hardened his, okay? So the point is, you've got man's responsibility. You have God's sovereignty. And so, so as, as, as we look at this in verses 15 and 16, like I said, Paul says, in regards to those whom God chooses, it's not about fairness, it's about mercy, because no one deserves it. No one, I'm, I'm redeemed, I'm saved. I look out, I see so many of you who are redeemed and you're saved. When, when, I, when I look out, Paul says, it's not about fairness, it's not, well, I mean, because you, bottom line is you didn't get what's fair. You want something that's not fair, because I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. I deserve hell because of my rejection, against, my rejection of God, my rebellion against him at birth. I deserve hell. But God had mercy. God had mercy. It's not, well, he didn't choose something. I don't know why he chose me. He, 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 he had mercy. It's not about fairness. It's not mercy. In verses 17 and 18, he says, with the, in regards to those whom he hasn't chosen, it's not about fairness or equity or justice. It's about purpose. He says, I, the whole thing with Pharaoh, I raised Pharaoh up and he passed Pharaoh by so that his power would be demonstrated and his name would be proclaimed. The purpose was an evangelistic purpose so that God's name would go out all over the world and be famous all over the world. That it's about God's purpose. And here's what we need to understand when we get to this. Everything God does has a purpose. Nothing about God is arbitrary. And so we would say, well, is God just arbitrary? No, everything God does has a purpose. Nothing is arbitrary. Just because we don't understand God's purpose doesn't mean there is not one. And just because we can't understand it doesn't mean it's not fair. It would be like, and I heard, I heard this illustration multiple times, and I, I was reminded of it this week at, at a pastor's conference I was at. It would be like you watching a movie that you've never heard of, never seen, know nothing about. You go home, you, you, you put a, somebody puts a DVD in, and, and, and you hit one millisecond of that movie. And it's a three-hour movie. You hit one millisecond of that movie, just one millisecond, and then you know nothing about it, know no one who's in it, know, and then all of a sudden you hit one millisecond, and somebody says, okay, describe to me the plot, the purpose, everything about this movie. Are, are, are you kidding? That's your life. You're going to live, if you live on average, 70, 80 years. You might get to 100. In 100 years, you know what? That's nothing compared to eternity. And what we see, we can't even have a, any sense of the scope of everything God's doing, doing to determine if anything's fair, right, or just. God's in control. He holds it all. That's why it would be, even in salvation, it's completely inconsistent to say God's in control over my kids, God's in control over marriage, God's in control. He's sovereign, he's in control over creation, he's in control over earthquakes and tornadoes and floods, and he's in control over everything. But when it comes to salvation, let me, let me take that back for a moment, and then I'll, I'm going to insert it back over here. He's in control. And we can't understand. Earthquakes, man, we're having earthquakes four, four days in a row. Myanmar. Japan, Japan, Ecuador, earthquakes, earthquakes, earthquakes. Do we think God's going, 
what lever do I pull? What's going on? No. Do we understand why earthquakes happen and people die? No, but we know God's in control and it has purpose. So we, we, we look at salvation and we, man, just because I can't understand it doesn't mean it's not there and doesn't mean it's not fair. It's not about fairness. It's about mercy. It's not about fairness. It's about purpose. And don't think, oh, so then here, here we go. Well, that wouldn't have been fair to Pharaoh. No, it wouldn't. It was completely unfair for Pharaoh if Pharaoh deserved salvation. So do we think Pharaoh deserved salvation? Did Pharaoh have rights that God violated? Did Pharaoh, could, could Pharaoh stood before God and beat his chest and said, I deserve salvation? No. Pharaoh didn't deserve anything. He rejected God. He mocked God. He deserved burning hell, which is what's happening. That's what he deserved. It's not, why not Pharaoh? It's why me? Why me? Why me? And so my prayer then is for all of you who don't know Christ, for my three children whom I'm so thankful it's not up to their decision because they can't decide, as I said, where to eat or, or, or they can't stay out of trouble for five minutes. They can't make good decisions. And it doesn't get better as they grow up, okay? I, I mean, listen, I'm so thankful. that, And so I fall on my knees and I tell my kids about Jesus every day. And I fall on my knees and I say, God, save them because I know it's all God, all grace. God, save them. I look at you and I know that some of you don't know Jesus. And my prayer is, God, save them. You've got to make that decision. You've got to make that choice. It's all, it's all God, all grace. It's God's sovereignty. It's your responsibility. And I pray, listen, I plead with God and I plead with man. I plead with God to save and I plead with man to be saved. Because it's all God, all grace. It's all God, all grace. It's man, man's uh, man, uh, God's responsibility, and it's man's, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And so Pharaoh, we can't say it was unfair because Pharaoh did not deserve salvation. Now, I close it out. R.C. Sproul, he, he told a story. He's a professor, which makes him a little bit smarter than me. He told this story about when he was teaching as a young professor in a Christian college. And he said he was teaching 250 college students the Old Testament, Old Testament survey. And he told them, you get your syllabi when you begin, you know, if you've been through seminary, college, uh, uh, grad school, you get your syllabi. There's going to be three papers that you're graded on. Your final for the class is going to be determined on three papers. He gave the due dates. The first due date rolls around, 25 students out of the 250 did not turn in the paper. Oh, they pleaded with Sproul, hey, please, man, we're, we're new to college, we're trying to get this down, please have mercy on us. And he was a young professor, and man, he wanted to have mercy, he wanted to be godly, you know, and godlike, and he thought mercy is godlike. And so he said, okay, I'll give you two more days. He gave them two days. They turned in the paper. The second due date rolled around, 50 students didn't turn in the paper. They pleaded with him, gave various excuses. Please give us mercy. And he said, all right, you've got two days. The third due date rolled around. And he said that 100 students of the 250 did not turn in their paper. And not, not only did they not really give an excuse, they were really flipping about it. Don't worry about it, Dr. Sproul. We'll get it to you in a few days. He said it dawned on him. A whole lot dawned on him. And he said, he said no, nope, you won't. Everybody didn't turn in your paper. You got an F on this paper. Well, people began to get frustrated, and one boy said, one student said, well, that's not fair, Dr. Sproul. And he said, oh, you want what's fair? You get an F for the class because you were late on your first two. Anybody else want what's fair? 
You see, he gave him what he deserved. He had mercy, then he gave him what he deserved. And see, the whole point of that illustration is, is and, and Sproul said, you know what, when we receive grace once, we, we really celebrate it, we receive it again, we get jaded, but there becomes a time when we sort of expect it. And here's, here's the issue, when we think, well, I mean, salvation, God's choice and all that's not fair. At that point, we're beginning to expect or demand that God give salvation to everybody because everybody deserves it. When we got to come back and realize nobody deserves it. I don't. My kids don't. My wife doesn't. You don't. My parents, my family, no one deserves salvation. If God saves one, he is too good. He is too generous. He is too graceful. He is not unfair. I don't know. I don't know who's going to be saved. I don't know who God's going to save. But here's what I do know. When you, we're all going to stand before him one day. And if you stand before him one day and he damns you to hell because you rejected him, you will not be able to say, God, that's not fair. It won't be because God was unfair. It'll be because you rejected him. You see, that's the issue. If you stand before God one day like myself and he admits you into heaven and he says, well done, it won't be because I can stand there and puff out my chest as, as, as I come before God because I did something for it. It won't be because, man, I made a good decision. I had a good life. It won't be because I can dab because, listen, God, look, I did it. I don't know why I did that. But listen, <laughs> you don't either. My point is we're all going to stand before God and we can't claim he's unfair or we can't claim we can't boast in us. All we can do is boast it's all God, all grace. It's all God, all grace. And if that doesn't make God so much more glorious to you, and if that doesn't make you go, as I've studied Romans to preach it, God's grace has become oh, so much more magnificent as I begin to understand it because I realize it's not a lenient attitude towards sin. It is all God. It is all grace. And it makes me propel me to love him and live for him in a way that I, can only, I could never imagine. So I tell you today, if you don't know him, you've heard the gospel. It's a, it, you've heard the gospel. It's your responsibility. You will never be able to say God's unfair because you've heard the gospel. It's your responsibility. Will you today surrender to him? Will you believe in him? To those who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. He'll give you that right today if you'll believe him. If you have then my, my challenge to you is to worship him. Don't be flippant. I believe with all my heart that Christianity has become so flippantly uh, active in this country because people have such a flippant attitude about who God is. And we understand the depths of who he is and that he is sovereign and that he is in control and it's all God, all grace. I believe it compels us to not run after him out of a legalism, out of, but out of a heart that says, God, you are awesome. You are good. You are generous. You are gracious. And I want more of you. So if you don't know him, come back and talk to us. And if you do, give your all to him and all you do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, we, we, we sing that. We say that. God, but I pray that grace would become so amazing. And I know that, Lord, as I said in the beginning of the message, I know that we're at different spots. Some of us are at different spots on this spectrum because we come out of different tribes. And God, 
Some of us are at different spots because we're processing it. God, even at our spiritual birth, we don't have a clue about this stuff. And that's a part of sanctification. And so, God, thank you that it's okay to be at different spots on this spectrum. I pray that we would just commit to dive in and wrestle with you and not with each other. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And, and, and Lord, we just thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you love us. And God, thank you that you love the entire world and it's not your will that any should perish. God, people perish because they reject you. God, we all have the same chance to respond to you. You're, in Romans 1, everything about you has been seen. God, your attributes have been clearly demonstrated. God, everybody has the chance. God, people don't go to hell because they didn't hear the gospel. People don't go to hell because you rejected them. People go to hell because they rejected you. And God, I pray that today you would save people. Thank you that your word, every time somebody goes to hell, it is purely all 100% on, on them. But every time somebody goes to heaven, it is purely 100% on, on you. Thank you for that. All God, all grace. Lord, have mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen.